0: Pastor Chris's podcast. In Exodus 20, verse 7, it says, You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's a beautiful weather that we've been having. Have you ever laid down in the grass and just looked up at the sky and seen the clouds floating around. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it would look like one animal or another and you can pick out shapes and imagine maybe it looks like a cow up there in the sky. But it doesn't stay the same for long. The wind blows and soon the clouds will shift and maybe it turns into some other animal or into nothing at all except maybe a puffy white cloud. But it's a beautiful thing we used to do when we were kids and we'd still do it sometimes. Our words are like that wind that blows the clouds, reshaping the world around us. The words that we speak have an effect on the people around us and the world around us. And so we need to be careful how we use our words, how we use our words. But it can be tricky. The meaning of words that we use change. I love, Joanna, I loved your, your message today and thinking about those little cassette tapes that we, we all used to have if you were of a certain age, but kids now may not even know what they are. Then on the other hand, before cassette tapes, we had vinyl records, and um, we would listen to those, and those went away. And now they're coming back. My my son, who's in his early 20s, has gotten to t- collecting vinyl records as a record player. We even, when we went home to visit with my in-laws, my father-in-law has an extensive collection of old records, and uh, they mostly sit on a shelf now and are collecting dust. My son was going through all of those records, picking out different ones that he wanted to borrow, so it was kind of an interesting connection, but you see how the technology changes over the decades, and words are the same way. The words we use and how we use them changes from one generation to the next, just like technology or like the clouds. That are constantly changing in the sky and words can mean different things in different communities a young pastor had an unfortunate experience on his first day of pastoring a small church he'd grown up in the city and so he was full of wonder as he drove through the countryside on the way to his first worship service at this church And then, unfortunately, when he got there, he offended half of the congregation with his opening remarks when he started talking about all of the bulls and all of the cows that he saw in the farm fields on the way to church. Unknown to this young minister, the polite society of that royal community did not use the word bulls. They called them cows and male cows. For them, bulls was considered a vulgar word. And so they didn't use that word, but he didn't know. Can you imagine how horrified he was to find out on his very first sermon in his very first church, he felt like he had cussed out half the congregation, but he didn't know it. Do you consider the words bull profanity? I don't know, but I guess some communities do. There may be other words that you consider profanity that others don't. There may be words that others consider profanity that you don't. One polite way to refer to a person's backside in this country is to call it a fanny. We even have a thing called a fanny pack that you wear if you go for a walk and you need to carry things. But if you go for a walk in Ireland, do not call it a fanny pack because the word fanny in Ireland is a very vulgar word and you would be offending someone. They don't call it a fanny pack They call it a bum bag, which seems weird to me. Fanny pack seems more polite than bum bag somehow. On the other hand, ironically, while you're in Ireland, you may hear them using the word F-E-C-K liberally, sprinkled throughout all of their conversations. They will use it on television and on the radio. Nuns and priests use the word F-E-C-K. For them, it simply means very or extremely. That's the word that they use. But in our context, I'm not even going to say that word, even though it's spelled differently. It sounds too much like a word that we just don't use. But different cultures, different generations, different towns have different meanings. Last Sunday, I shared how words matter. And that can be tricky, because words mean different things to different people. And today I want to talk about Profanity. We have a serious problem, I think, with profanity in our society. However, I want to suggest that profanity may not necessarily mean what you think it means. Profanity is deeper than just using cuss words. Profanity, at its heart, is desecrating something that is sacred, whether it is God's name or his reputation, or something else that God has made sacred. Ultimately, profanity is living with an attitude that nothing is sacred. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about their problem with profanity. When we read this, we we may not think about it as him speaking to the subject of profanity when we read it on the surface, but when we think of, think of it in a deeper context, you may see that he was indeed talking about the way they were profaning. Listen to what he wrote. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter eleven, and verse twenty through twenty-two, and then verse twenty-seven. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's supper. For some of you. Hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. And then in verse 27... So anyone who eats this or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. In the first century church, what we now call Holy Communion was still a meal. Similar to what we would eat at home. We all have to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner and maybe a few meals in between, um, to nourish our bodies so that we can grow and remain healthy. Just as Jesus originally shared an actual dinner with his disciples at the Last Supper, the New Testament churches would gather together for a special dinner to eat and to drink and remember their sacred Savior. As they dined, they would break bread and they would recount what Jesus said. This is my body given for you, and this is my blood shed for you. Jesus told his followers to do this often and to remember how he had died on the cross for their sins. Though these meals served the common function of nourishing the body, the meals were also sacred and holy for believers as they remembered what Christ had done. You know, just because something is sacred doesn't mean that it's always necessarily somber or boring or religious. There are many sacred ceremonies that are full of joy and celebration. At a wedding, for instance, we sing and we dance and we laugh and we love. It's a wonderful celebration, but it's also a sacred time when a man and a woman stand before God and all of the eyewitnesses, and they promise to love each other for the rest of their lives, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. There are other moments in life that are, are just as sacred, even though they are not done in a religious context. Many of you may know that Ali Motley had a, had a baby this weekend. This is a time of pain and joy, and it is something that is also very sacred. But we don't think of it as a, necessarily as a religious ceremony. So something sacred doesn't have to be holy. I mean, it doesn't have to only be somber and religious, but it can still be holy. And so um, part of what I have felt God's calling on my life, when we come and we worship, you know, me and Tom will, joke back and forth with one another. We, we try to have fun and have a lively service because it's, it's a holy moment, but that doesn't mean that it's boring. It's still fun and it's full of joy. It ought to be full of joy. Christians ought to be the most joyous, happy people of all because we have the, the Savior. Christ has given His life for us and we have been re- redeemed and we have been freed and been filled with God's Spirit. And so we can, we can be holy while at the same time being down to earth. Just because something is sacred doesn't mean it's somber and boring. But there's a fine line between sacred joy and profane behavior. And unfortunately, the Corinthian church to whom Paul wrote had completely abandoned the sacred nature of Holy Communion. Some would hoard a bunch of food for themselves while others didn't get anything to eat at all. And others were drinking so much communion wine they were getting sloppy drunk. And you have experienced maybe someone who's been sloppy drunk and you know that they can be irreverent and unholy. The spirit and remembrance of Christ's love was not their focus as they gathered around the table They were actually desecrating the sacred memory of Christ and how he died on the cross for their sins by what they were doing. And Paul was appalled by their behavior. And he told them so. And he encouraged them to do it. And he said, if you don't, you are actually drinking judgment on yourselves. Many people have shared with me over the years how offended they are when they hear people take the Lord's name in vain, whether it is is as extreme as using God's name to damn someone or something, or even as simply as using God's name as an expression of ecstatic excitement, like when you say, oh my God, I love your car. They don't want to hear that because many have shared how hearing God's sacred name in this way is is offensive. They love the Lord. They love God and they revere him and they don't want to use his name in vain and they don't want to hear anyone else do it. And that's noble to respect God and revere him in that way. But I also want to remind you and help you to understand that the prohibition against using God's name in vain goes far, far beyond merely saying words or words that you say. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, it says this. Of course, you know. It says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. The New Living Translation says, do not misuse the name of the Lord. And when it uses the word name, it's not just talking about the Lord's common name that you address him by. What it really means is it's God's reputation. And throughout the ancient times, a person's name was their reputation. It was who they were. Incidentally, God is not actually his name. The word G-O-D is a description. Just like you would say, this is a man, this is a woman, this is an adult, this is a child, This is a God. God told us what his name was. He told Moses that his name was Yahweh. So it was a proper name. That's the proper name. There are other names like El Shaddai and and Jehovah Jireh. And we have a, a series of sermons coming up this summer that talk about all the different names of God. God is just a description. But when it says, do not take the Lord's name in vain, Understand that name means God's reputation. You see, the Israelites to whom the Lord gave these commands were supposed to represent God to the world. He chose them as His people. He, taught, he brought them out of slavery in Egypt and He says, You will be my chosen people. You will be my holy representatives to the whole world. God set them apart as His royal representatives. Everywhere they went, it was like they were carrying a banner with God's name over their heads. Everywhere they went, everyone who would see them would would know that they were God's people. It was like the banner said, we are God's people. Look at us and you will see what God is like. That's what they were supposed to do. That's why God chose them. So that it would be, it would desecrate God's perfect, pure reputation if his people were dishonest or disrespectful or vulgar or or immoral or if they were bad people. Because everyone who looked at them would think, is that what God is like? Is he a liar? Is he disrespectful? Is he vulgar and dirty and immoral? No, of course he's not. And God didn't want people to think of him that way. And so he commanded them, do not take my name in vain. Do not take my name. It's interesting, it says taking it. How do you take someone's name? It's when you carry that banner, you take it with you. It's like carrying a flag. You take the flag of God with you and you wave it. And everybody looks at you and says, he's a godly person. Well, if that's what the name that you're going to carry with you, you better be sure you carry it correctly. And in the same way, Christians today are to pre- represent Jesus Christ to the whole world. In the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result you can show others the goodness of God. You can live your whole Christian life without ever saying GD or OMG, but if your behavior is bad and misrepresents God's character, you are just as guilty. Scripture repeatedly shows that behavior that professes Behavior that profanes God's name is more offensive than words that do. Profanity is becoming more commonplace in our world. People use profane words and they even use the Lord's name in vain. We hear it in the workplace, at school. We hear it Even on television and in movies where the FCC used to censor offensive language, it's there, it's more common now. We also live in a time when our attitudes and our actions toward one another are not very gracious. People are angry, divided, mean-spirited to one another. I wonder, do people speak more offensive words today because their hearts are full of profanity? Or are people more hateful to each other because they use so much profanity with their mouths? I think the two go together. I know that our words matter because they affect our actions. If we speak profanity, we soon act profanely. And the more we act profanely, the more profanity comes out of our mouths. I don't want to be naive and I don't want to be a prude, but I believe that Christians are called to be salt and light that help make our world a better place. I believe that the words we use matter and they affect the world around us. We need to be gracious and loving to one another and both our words, and our deeds. And furthermore, we need to remember that God made the entire world. It's not that the church sanctuary is a sacred place and the world outside is not. All of life is sacred. All the world is sacred. We gather around The sacred table today to celebrate Holy Communion. But then we will go out and we will interact with people all through our week. And they are sacred too. Living beings that God created and loves, that God gave a special purpose. All of life is sacred. But too many people in our times live as though nothing is sacred. And I think that hurts. Hurts us. It hurts our communities. It hurts our world. When we lose the sense of sacredness in the people and the things around us, then they just become things that we can use and discard. We use them up, we discard them, we hurt them, we throw them away when we're done. Is that who we are? Is that why we experience so much um, abuse of nature around us? Because we don't care about it anymore? It's just a thing to be used up? Or do we see the world around us as God's creation? that We're called to love and to care for. If we think that way about the world around us, what does it mean about the people that we talk to and work with? This is profanity in its deepest sense. And I believe that Jesus wants us to live a different way, a better way. And so that's why I'm thankful that he came, that he gave his life on the cross to wash away our past sins and to empower us by his spirit to live a better way going forward. So today we have the privilege of celebrating the sacrament of Holy Communion. It reminds us of that dinner that Jesus had with his disciples. And Jesus always had a, an interesting way of taking ordinary things and turning them into something sacred. It's just a meal. It's just a dinner. It's the kind of thing that we do every day, using elements that are ordinary, bread, grape juice. And he takes these ordinary things and turns them into something extraordinary. I believe that that's what we, as his followers, are called to do as well. To go out and to see the ordinary things of our world around us. And by his spirit and his power, Turn them into extraordinary things. See them as the extraordinary things that they are. May His grace to us today help us. For on the night that He gave Himself up for us, He had that meal with His disciples, and He took the bread and He broke it and He gave it to His disciples. And He said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And likewise, after the meal, he took the cup and he raised it to heaven and he asked the Lord to bless it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for the sacredness of life and for the sacredness of this meal and for the sacredness of bearing your name as we leave from here. We pray, O Lord, that you would nourish and strengthen us to represent you well. And so we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this bread and this wine and on us gathered here, that the bread and wine might be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.